0: temple and he set himself up in the midst of it as according to his own description he called himself the very manifestation of God he substantiated his claim to deity by performing miracles I saw a video of one of them where a woman's cast from a broken leg was being cut off in the midst of the service and the woman who could not walk stood up and not only walked but began to do sprints around the building. And that was just one of many, many, many so-called miracles that this individual was said to perform. He created auxiliary organizations that provided housing for senior adults, food, education for the poor and the uneducated in addition to many, many other social Services. He essentially eradicated racial barriers at a time of violent racial upheaval. His followers referred to him as Father. His goal was to create a utopian society over which he would lead and through which the world would be completely changed. He had the ear of the highest leaders in the country. I looked at documents of handwritten notes from the highest persons in political office in our country written to him the most significant leaders and social influencers of his own city wrote letters of commendation for him defended him when he was accused he rejected the bible he rejected the bible as being undiluted truth he set himself up as the single greatest arbiter of what is true he used the bible when he wanted to but denied it at other times furthermore he was given to excessive immorality saying that it was his responsibility as the father of this temple and the father of this people to have sexual relationships with both men and women anyone who violated his will was beaten in front of members of his inner circle while he hysterically laughed as he watched on. There are recordings of such beatings. It's mind-boggling. More than 5,000 people numbered themselves as members of this temple. At the same time, our country was experiencing what many have referred to historically as a period of religious revival. It was going on across the country in many sectors of the the country even though the we could say the social spectrum was growing increasingly liberal and violent we we saw during that period several political leaders assassinated and even at one point the White House itself was barricaded by buses all around because of violent protesters who were trying to gain access to the White House and perhaps do harm to the president but this self-proclaimed manifestation of God was growing by leaps and bounds. He actually convinced around a thousand people to follow him to a remote area of South America where he had leased property. And in a very short period of time, he had built extensive housing, self-sustaining farms, and opportunities for a kind of communal living that would require no assistance from the outside world. He had aspirations of actually changing the entire world. I listened to the 45-minute recording of him encouraging his followers to commit a revolutionary suicide. In the background, you can hear the cries of children, the screams of children and women as he droned on and on, encouraging them just to go to sleep and step over to the other side and realize the utopia that they had all wanted Over 300 of the 914 people that died that day were children who were forced to drink cyanide-laced Flavor-Aid. Those who resisted were injected with the substance or shot if they tried to escape. The, The pictures of Jonestown in Guyana of all those heaps of bodies laying on top of each other, as if willfully laying themselves down next to each other, is shocking still to this day. Forty years this November after the atrocity. The leader, the Reverend Jim Jones, not long after he stopped the recording of his encouraging his people to kill themselves shot himself in the head didn't take the poison shot himself in the head or some suspect perhaps he was shot because he couldn't do it himself how could so many people be duped I listened to hours actually of people who were in the organization his sons people who were in the inner circle who saw the so-called miracles, who none of which today believe any of that, and they've all rejected him as a madman. But they were all in at one point. They believed it all. They made excuses for everything. How in the world could such a large group of people, even political influencers, be duped by this kind of thing? I've actually been interested in more of the history of that, and so many documents have been made available today about the Jonestown Massacre because I I see similar societal trends in our culture today. I've actually been documenting some of those things, just keeping tabs on them of what political leaders are saying about themselves and how people are seemingly just mindlessly following some of these leaders because they supposedly will get you what you want. It's fascinating to see. To be honest, it would be irrational to think that we wouldn't see something happen like that again. Irrational because this is not the only time in human history something like that has happened. To be honest, throughout human history, such leaders have arisen. And people have followed them and listened to them. If we were to think that we are of such intellect now and such wisdom now, unlike previous generations that we would never follow, again, friends, that was just 40 years ago. And by the way, as you're reading the passage and you're thinking about what's in front of us, the Bible actually guarantees that it's going to happen again. And people will follow and they will believe And they will give themselves to such a person. How would we know if we are in the days of the end when such a deceptive leader would come and whether we would be the kind of people who would be duped into believing these kinds of falsehoods, falsehoods of a madman? Well, I think the scenario that we've just described is not too far from the situation of the first century And those in Thessalonica had been falsely told that they were now in the day of God's wrath. And all the suffering that they were going through happened to be the end time. These were the final days. In other words, they were actually beginning to misinterpret their present circumstances, shaken by those circumstances because they wavered from what the scriptures had actually taught about the future clarity about the future will actually provide you confidence in the present and that's something we need to keep in mind and you know that kind of thing to be true if you knew what was going to happen in the future would it change the way you live now I think it would I think it would give you some sense of clarity if you knew specifically so we need to be clear and and you're in your mind you're saying are you going to tell us who the antichrist is that would be clear you're going to tell us who the restrainer is just just wait it'll all be clear as clear as the Bible is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Clarity about the future provides confidence for the present. You won't be shaken by your present circumstances. If, you're, if you know what's coming and then you, you take the word and you compare it to what's going on, perhaps you'll see some similarities, but you're not going to be taken under by these things because the Bible gives us sufficient information to be able to discern these things. That's essentially the idea behind 2 Thessalonians 2. Don't misinterpret the present because you have enough about the future to be able to be wise, to keep growing, to keep loving one another, not to be blindly following falsehoods. So as we said the last number of times that we were together in this passage, 2 Thessalonians 2 helps us by, by making four different points of clarification about the future so that we can be clear and steady in the present. First, we have to clarify the events of Jesus' coming. We looked at that in verses 1 to 2. Second, we have to clarify the evidence that reveals the day of the Lord. And that's verses 3 to 12, of which we're in the midst of now. Third, we must clarify how our salvation relates to the day of the Lord. And Lord willing, we'll get to that next time. And last, we must clarify our response to current events in light of Christ's return. And we'll see that in verses 15 to 17. We have to clarify our minds, in our minds, the events of Jesus' coming, how they relate to each other. That's what we looked at in the first two verses. And we remind ourselves that Paul had taught them constantly about the coming of Jesus. That's what he says in verse 5. We taught you about these things all the time. And we've learned that the coming of Jesus involves several phases. It's not just one singular event, there are several phases. There is the gathering, which he alludes to in verse 1 and mentions... Where we are gathered together to the Lord in the air and the resurrection of the dead who are in Christ occurs. And he referred to that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well. And that gathering then launches the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is an Old Testament idea that encompasses a number of events that is revealing and unleashing the wrath of God on the earth. The day of the Lord then culminates with the appearing, the appearing mentioned in verse eight that we'll talk about today. The appearing is also connected to the coming of the Lord and it's the final aspect when the Lord Jesus actually physically appears and he comes back to the earth and sets up his kingdom on the earth. But someone was telling the Thessalonians that their present suffering was the sign that the day of the Lord, his wrath had come and they were now in the day of the Lord's wrath and that completely unsettled them. They expected that they would not be associated with the day of the Lord. And Paul had taught them that. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. They're not connected to that day. But if this was the day of the Lord and some spiritual revelation was saying that it was, that would be completely unsettling to them. And it was. So they needed to clarify their current situation in light of the coming of Christ. And when you see the progress of events, you see what he's talking about as a whole, it begins to provide some clarity. Secondly, Paul wanted to clarify to clarify the evidence that of that reveals the day of the Lord and that's that's where we are right now what is the evidence that reveals the day of the Lord now we began talking about this last time two weeks ago that there's two pieces of evidence that would reveal the presence of the day of the Lord if someone has said "Oh, the gatherings already happened it happened spiritually so you're not supposed to expect that and they said that falsely well then if we're in the day of the Lord what would that look like well there's two clear pieces of evidence First, the apostasy comes. That's in verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, that is, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Not just general leaving of Christianity, but something specific. A specific falling away, likely a global falling away from the things of Christ. The apostasy has to come first. Then, secondly, The man of lawlessness is revealed. That's verses 3 through 12. So the apostasy comes first, and then it says, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, how are we going to know who that man is? Or if we had Jim Jones-like people arising, or... People like in the first century, someone like Titus, the Roman general who marched into Jerusalem and sacked the city of Jerusalem and set up the Roman insignia over the temple. Was that the Antichrist? Was that the man of lawlessness? How would you recognize if someone in history is the man of lawlessness and that we were actually in the day of the Lord? Well, that's what Paul begins to unpack for us so that we are clear on this issue. And he does this in three different ways. He provides three characteristics about the man of lawlessness so that we're clear about the current events going on among us in relationship to the coming of Christ. And he gives a general description of the man of lawlessness in verses 3 to 5. And we looked at that last time. He comes with the apostasy in verse 3. He's, he's coming with, when the apostasy happens, the man of lawlessness comes as well. They happen virtually simultaneously. He's also characterized by disobedience and destruction. Do you remember that? He's characterized by disobedience and destruction. He's the man of lawlessness. He's characterized by disobedience and he's the son of destruction, meaning he is the son who is going to be completely destroyed. He'll be connected with ultimate destruction. He also exalts himself as God. You see it in verses 4 and 5. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So if the man of lawlessness is here, you need to see those things. That's a general description. Now this morning we pick it up from there and we want to give two more characteristics of the man of lawlessness that helps us to be clear about current events in Christ's coming. We saw a general description last time, but let's look at two more characteristics of the man of lawlessness so that we can know what he's like. because you might say, I've seen apostates. I've seen people exalt themselves as God. I've seen people disobedient to the law. I've seen people that the Lord has, has devoted to destruction. But consider these characteristics. Secondly, it's not just a general description of him, but a present delay. Think about his present delay. Let's look at that in verses 6 to 8. These really simple, straightforward verses that there's no controversy on among Bible commentators. Right? And you know what restrains him. I, I like the way Paul says this. There's no debate here. You know You know what restrains him now so that his time he'll be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You say, well, who is that? What is that? Who is the the mystery man here? Here's the present delay. Notice these descriptions about this delay. First of all, this man is currently restrained the man of lawlessness is currently restrained I do appreciate what Paul does here he says you know this you know this you remember verse 5 we, we taught you these things over and over and over this is not new news to you and can I just pause there footnote here and say many times our current circumstances so unsettle us That what we need to do is not to find new information, but just simply go back to the things that we have been taught previously. Have you ever noticed how many times we just need to go back to foundational truths? Go back to those things that we study in the fundamentals of the faith. The nature of God. That's why our elders and our staff are are teaching us this year on the nature and the characteristics of God, of which Dalton launched last week, which is so helpful, helpful for us just to ground ourselves again in what we know to be true so we're not unsettled by circumstances because these circumstances come so quickly. Well, just get yourself back to what you know. You know this. We've talked about it. Now, what is it that they know? You know what restrains him, that is the man of lawlessness, now. There's some things restraining the man of lawlessness at this time, or at least at the time that Paul's writing it. I think this word now is connected to what is restraining. It's restraining him now, There's all kinds of timing words here that this term now is in comparison to. Verse 6 talks about his time. Verse 7, already. Verse 7, until. Verse 8, then. There's all these timing things. He is restrained now, currently. So that's why the Thessalonians should not be shaken now because the man of lawlessness is now restrained and you know what that is. Now the word restrained means to hold something down, to hold it back, to keep it from moving forward. It is as if there is some kind of pressure that is mounting and something is pushing it back. That's the idea behind the word restrained. It's pushing it back, holding it down. Now why? Why? Why is there restraint over the man of lawlessness right now? What does the text say? Why does there have to be restraint? So that in his time, he may be revealed. There's a lot of hope in that phrase. Do you see it? You say, where's hope in that phrase? In his time, he may be revealed. Which tells you, nothing happens without the sovereign ordination of God himself. Something is holding this man back under God's authority. And that means God has a specific timetable. Now, unfortunately for us, or maybe fortunately, because I don't know what we would do with it. But he hasn't told us his timetable. Have you noticed that? It frustrates many of us. Now some write books and sell them to us and we pay good money that we shouldn't pay to tell us about when that time is. But God has not revealed that time to us. But you should be sure there is a time. And this man of lawlessness is now being restrained so that he will be revealed In his time. In the time that will be marked for him. It will be a time defined by this man. It's his time. He'll be put on display. And even when the man of lawlessness is revealed. Just keep in mind. In all of the fury that will come. In all of the deception that's going to come. In all of the sinfulness that comes. He is still on God's leash. He, is, he has a time determined by God. Just as Christ came at the proper time, the Antichrist will come in God's timing. But even though there is a specific time for his unveiling and he is now restrained, the spiritual forces behind the work that will produce this man are already at play do you see it in verse 7 he explains what he means by this restraint he says the mystery of lawlessness now remember he is the man of lawlessness well now the mystery that's a word that means something is hidden it hasn't been fully revealed yet And I don't think it's just referring to just general lawlessness, though that's certainly involved. But there is a mystery. There's some kind of specific force, spiritual force happening in the world that's preparing everything to reveal and unveil the man of lawlessness. And that mystery of lawlessness, Paul says, is already at work. He's now restrained, but the mystery of lawlessness is already energized. That's the word, energeo. It's always, it's already working. We get our word energy from that term. It's already at play. It's already working. Now that's in Paul's day. In Paul's time, the mystery of lawlessness, all this, it's as if lawlessness has a mind and a personality, and it's building a world that is going to be ripe for a man of lawlessness to be revealed to accomplish all that God ordains for him to accomplish and to bring about his intended end. Paul's not the only one to allude to something like this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 reminds us of this very truth. 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour, John says. That last hour began in the time of Christ. It continues until his epiphany, his appearing comes. It is the last hour, and just as you heard, listen to this, just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen, such as Jim Jones. Antiochus Epiphanes, Roman Emperor Gaius, Caligula, and many, many others. Many antichrists have, ariv- have arisen. That's how we know it's the last hour. So we should expect that we're going to see people like this because there's something under the surface that we can't see and we cannot perceive the mystery of lawlessness that isn't fully revealed that's preparing a time when the man of lawlessness will come. That final Antichrist. So his coming which is interesting, his coming is the same word parousia that's used for Christ's coming, and you'll find that the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist always wants to parallel the true Christ as if to deceive you. Well, his coming may be covert, but what is preparing for his coming is very overtly at work. So I I just want to remind us again, I keep looking at this passage and I, I hear in the back of the Apostle Paul's mind him telling us, settle down. Do you hear that? You say, where's that? I don't see it in the, in the where's it in the Greek? I think it's behind all of this. Why is he giving us all this information? Settle down. Stop overreacting to what's going on in your world. What do you, what do you think is going to happen in our world, friends? Do you think that everything, if the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and it's going to generate a man of lawlessness, do you think everything's just going to get better and rosy? Do you think everybody that you vote for because you're a Christian and we're a Christian nation is going to be elected? Do you think righteousness is going to be the the theme of the day? There's nothing in the scripture that tells us, that that's the way it's going to end. Everything in the Bible tells us something different than that. So settle down. Settle down. Go to the polls. Preach righteousness. Uphold righteousness in your country. Settle down. The mystery of lawlessness is at work. We're not surprised when we see... Alternate forms of marriage affirmed. We're not surprised that our culture can't come up with a definition of a man and a woman. We're not shocked by that. Are you shocked by that? You're like, I was shocked by that. No, 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 you're not shocked by that. You know this is coming. You know this kind of stuff is coming. You're like, well was mind boggling. Right. Right. It's going to produce someone who's going to deceive the world. Settle down. All that's happening in rebellion to God from the beginning until this very day is the mystery of lawlessness at work. Now, he says only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, in verse 6, it was what restrains him? Neuter what restrains here it is personal he masculine he who is restraining there is someone restraining this is interesting isn't it there's a lot of suggestions as to what this could be I I found at least 16 I'm sure there's more I'm not going to go through all 16 of them praise God let's all say praise God together on that Some say it's the Jewish state, some say it's gospel preaching, some say it's the binding of Satan in Revelation 20, some say it's angels, some say it's God's providence, some say it's the Holy Spirit, some say it's Elijah, some the Roman Empire, some say it's human government that restrains evil, Romans 13. Uh, There's at least, at least from what I can find, 16 different things that I have found that are suggestions as to who this restrainer is. Well, Let's just try to go with what's clear because I don't see a name mentioned here. Do you? I don't see one. So if we're more clear than Paul, we should be careful, right? <laughs> we should be careful. <laughs> so let's just be as clear as Paul is here. And if we're going to try to guess above him, um, God might have fun with you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so what is clear here is that what is restraining is an individual. It is a person. He who is restraining. What is also clear here is that this individual who is doing the restraining seems to transcend time. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, Paul says he is restraining when? Now in his day. And when that restrainer is removed, the lawless lawless one comes and the lawless one, according to verse 8, is going to bring the Lord back, which hasn't happened, right? It hasn't happened. So that must mean whoever's doing the restraining was restraining in Paul's day and is still doing that restraining to this very moment. So that means this person transcends time. I would also suggest, think about the kind of man who is being restrained. It is one who has such influence, power, and ability that he can deceive the entire world into thinking that he's some manifestation of God. He deceives the world through miraculous signs and wonders, and all of his abilities and energies are derived from the supernatural work of a supernatural being, Satan. So, whoever this individual is, is no mere mortal. So whoever is restraining him right now is not merely earthly human government because they can restrain some forms of evil, but the man of lawlessness one day will rule all of these governments. It's probably not the Roman Empire of Paul's day. The Roman Empire of Paul's day was never friendly to Christianity. They weren't restraining unrighteousness. The the Caesars of the world were engaged in all kinds of unrighteousness. And by the way, if it was this, the Roman Empire went away, didn't it? The Roman Empire dissipated and the Lord did not return. So it's likely not the Roman Empire or any of the Caesars. It is one who is restraining. That means holding back. So not likely some mere earthly person, but someone who has supernatural abilities. Probably someone positive, not negative. It's not the mystery of lawlessness that's holding it back. I read some things that maybe this was, and I was was kind of toying with this idea. Maybe it's the mystery of lawlessness and even Satan who has a plan and a time. Possibly, but not likely, because something's restraining. It's as if the mystery of lawlessness wants to break out and there's someone who's holding it back. So I think minimally we would have to say if it's someone timeless this has to somehow relate to god himself perhaps it is the holy spirit and you say well no it can't be the holy spirit because he's referred to with the neuter in verse 6 and then the masculine and there's no one who would refer to the holy spirit as a what he's always a who well, don't get too tripped up over that thing. It's kind of like asking the question of, what's holding that pit bull back from rushing those children? The owner is holding it back, right? So th- that's the same kind of thing. What's holding back lawlessness? Well, this person is. This person is. And by the way, John 16 talks about the Holy Spirit with both neuter and masculine pronoun so this would not be the first time the spirit is spoken about in such a way it's similar conversation but it would be hard to believe that this is just the holy spirit because if he meant the holy spirit why didn't he just say holy spirit because he mentions the spirit in verse 13 by name so why is, why didn't he just say the spirit is doing it I, i'm not convinced that it's the church who is restraining because it's an individual it's an individual that transcends time. It's a, it seems to be a person. So I, I don't think it's the church. I, I spent a great deal of time this week looking at some other suggestions. Spent a lot of time in the book of Daniel. Some have suggested that it was Michael the archangel And that he is the one who is involved in the events of Daniel chapter 11 and 12. And Michael is even mentioned specifically in chapter 12 in relationship to a time that's unleashed on the world as tribulation. But in Daniel 12, none of the language describes him as restraining everything, anything. It uses the language of him actually protecting people. Protecting people, not restraining evil. Evil is unleashed and he protects, namely Israel. That's the context of Daniel 12. So I'm not convinced it's Michael the archangel, though I think it wouldn't be out of line to believe that God is using by his spirit and his will some angelic being to restrain evil in the spiritual realm because we see angels doing the bidding of God in the spiritual realm with physical impact and real-world impact from the Old Testament and particularly in places like the book of Revelation. They are carrying out his judgments. So it could be some angel dispatched to represent God. It could be the work of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, it can't be the Spirit because if he's taken out, you can't take out an omnipresent Holy Spirit. Well, the, the language here actually reads, he's rem- he is out of the midst becomes. He becomes out of the midst. It's not that he's just removed completely. He just is taken out of the middle of He just becomes out of the middle rather than in, and some have suggested, well, that just would make the Holy Spirit working in the world much like he did in the Old Testament different than how he works in the New Testament through the church, and that's a very real possibility. No doubt in my mind, if the church was removed, which is a proclaimer of truth and pushes back against evil in society and the work of the spirit is clearly the new covenant work among the church if that were removed in the sense that we know it now evil would be completely unrestrained so it's possible that it is the work of the spirit perhaps through some angelic being so so how's that for you As the restrainer, you say, I don't know, I've got two, three, well, I don't know who it is, to be honest. I'm just guessing like you're guessing, and I'm not going to be any more specific than this. There is someone who transcends time doing a supernatural work that obviously is under the hand of God, that's holding back lawlessness until God says, come out of the midst and let it go, and let it go. You should just know that's how much control God has over things. That's how much authority God has over evil. Have you thought about that? Evil can have its own timeline, but it must bow to the will of God. So there is some restraint. He's being Delayed. Another aspect here. The second part regarding the delay of the man of lawlessness. Is that his revealing is his undoing. His revealing is his undoing. So the restrainer is going to be taken out of the way. And then what happens? Verse 8. Then. Once the restrainer is out of the midst of restraining. Then that Lawless one will be revealed. He'll be known. It won't be a mystery of lawlessness. It will be a man of lawlessness now known. He will be revealed. Daniel 9 27, I think, refers to this man of lawlessness who comes at the beginning of the seventh, of the 70th seven in Daniel. We can go back and listen to what we said on some of that before a week of time or a seven-year period. If you want to take that symbolically, it has to be symbolic of something, likely some kind of short period. He comes at the beginning of that. He's unveiled with the apostasy, but this is going to be the one whom the Lord slays by his appearing. You see that? Then that lawless one will be revealed. And this lawless one that is revealed is going to be the one who eventually the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's fascinating. This worldwide powerful man will be slain by the breath of Jesus' mouth. That's some bad breath, isn't it? (laughs) No, I think it's such good breath, this guy can't stand it. Likely refers to... The word of God. He comes and he speaks the word and in one word the man is slain and his deception and his power is rendered inoperative, nullified, done away with. This is very possibly a reference and an allusion to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4 which is really interesting. It says, but with righteousness it's, Isaiah 11 by the way starts out as a description of the coming Messiah and it says but with righteousness he that is the Messiah will judge the poor and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked and perhaps it is appropriate to read that as the wicked one or the lawless one He'll slay him by the breath of his mouth. And if you went on to read Isaiah chapter 11, it describes the coming rule of the Messiah who rules over the earth, even over nations who still present themselves as the enemies of the Messiah. It's described in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 15, that when he comes from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. You can go on to verse 19 in Revelation 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's the coming of the Lord. Does away with the wicked one, the lawless one. By the appearance of his coming. That is the actual physical manifestation of the coming of Christ. Distinguished here within the parousia, the coming of Christ from what we saw in verse 1. The gathering. It's not the gathering. It's now the appearing. Another aspect. Why all of this detail about the delay of the man of the Lord? Well are you in the day of the Lord right now have you seen the apostasy have you seen this man no he's delayed he's delayed so don't go around running around trying to find him don't try to name him everybody who names the antichrist gets egg on their face when they do that have you noticed that I don't think it's necessary to go back to the history books or the newspapers to try to find this guy. When he comes, it will be unmistakable. So you wouldn't be wondering. There wouldn't be any question. There wouldn't be 16 answers as to who the restrainer is and 10,000 as to who the Antichrist is. But there's even more detail given here. We see a general description of him in these verses 3 to 5. There's a present delay described in verses 6 to 8. Let me finish with verses 9 to 12. There's a supernatural deception. Watch this. I promise it moves fast. There's four components to the man of lawlessness deception. He's coming in deception. I want you to see the four components of this deception. When he comes, he's wildly deceiving. The Lord will destroy him, but when he comes, there's this activity. This is why I don't think, it's not that he's revealed and immediately when he's revealed, the Lord returns. It can't be that because he has a period of time when he's deceiving. So here's, here's four different components of it. First, his deception is energized by Satan. That's clear to see. His deception is energized by Satan. Verse 9, that is the one who's coming there's the parousia again of the Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness. His coming is in accord not with the Lord of glory, but with Satan himself. In accord with the energy, the activity, the working of Satan. Now, I've heard people say, Satan is really after me today. And I just want to go on record to say, friends, you, you mean a lot to God You are precious in his sight, but it's probably not the devil after you because you're not that big. Probably some demon might be after you, but it's not Satan himself. But when the man of lawlessness comes, Satan directly is involved with this man. He has global influence. In fact, if you read Revelation 12 and 13, there's a description here of Satan and his direct work within what John calls the beast... And Satan works directly through him to bring about these deceptions. It's what Paul is referring to here as well. So his activity, his working, all the energy behind him, the power, it's all the active, deliberate work of Satan himself. That's interesting because there are many places in the New Testament that talk about Christ and his work in the gospel as being a, a working, an energy of God in us. And if you see something in Christ, you're you're to be sure that the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness wants to mimic that because what does he want to set himself up as? God. So he wants to work as well, but his working is not of God, not of the power of of God or the gospel. It is the actual working of Satan. But I just want to remind you, as great as his power is, You remember what Martin Luther said in his great hymn? One little word will fell him. The breath of his mouth God will do away with him. As great as he is, as great as his power is, God is infinitely greater. You, you You don't have to worry. God is greater. Though it is the work of Satan in him secondly another component of this deception his deception is exalted by signs it's exalted by signs that is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of satan with all power and signs and false wonders these are likely all to be seen together power miracles miraculous abilities and signs and wonders that are false power refers to miraculous energy behind signs and wonders signs are like billboards that point to something greater. You see a billboard, it leads you to the restaurant. You're not satisfied with a billboard. You're not satisfied with signs. Signs point to something. These signs would point to what? He will do supernatural signs in the activity of Satan that say to the world, I am God. It's a sign that points that way. And he does wonders. What does that mean? He will do things that absolutely amaze us. That would astound us if we are there for it. That we would be mesmerized. We couldn't explain. It was reported after that healing where they cut the cast off the woman's leg. How did that happen? Well, the woman reported. I watched the woman give the report. She said, I, the day before I, I fell down and went unconscious, and when I woke up, I had a cast on my leg. And she said, the people around me told me, yeah, you blacked out, and you, you broke your leg, and so we, we took you to the hospital, put the cast on it. She had no recollection of any of that, and so Jim Jones called her up and cut the cast off and said, get up, can you walk? And she's like, well, I, I can. She ran around. The whole thing was just put on. These signs, wonders, these are the activity of Satan, not clever people. I take this to mean there's actual supernatural work behind these things. This is not sleight of hand. This is the working of Satan in these things. True signs and wonders, miracles that are taking place that cannot be denied which again would mimic the work of christ he did signs and wonders so as to attest to his deity the apostles did signs and wonders to attest to the reality of their message as being directly from christ so you would expect the antichrist to come and do similarly and by the way that's not new pharaoh's magicians in exodus chapter 7 did supernatural works Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty two, you remember this? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? That's pretty powerful. And in your name perform many powerful miracles? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 24, False Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so to, as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's pretty powerful. But, but they're all false. That, that doesn't mean that they, they don't have true supernatural ability behind them, but they don't represent what is true. And they're pointing to the fact that this man of lawlessness says, I am God. And see, I can show you that I'm God by these signs and wonders. You say, well, why would God allow Satan to do activity through a human being that pointed people toward error? That would cause people to exalt a false Christ that would inspire the world to worship someone other than himself. What's he going to do in that? He's going to expose unbelief. He's going to expose fickle hearts that played with truth and didn't trust it which is what we see next, a third component. His deception is embraced by sinners. His deception is embraced by sinners. Verse 10. He comes with these powerful signs and wonders that are all false and with all deception that flows from wickedness. Every kind of deception that is the result of evil and wickedness. It's a deception that makes immorality appear moral. A belief in a false Christ that seems appropriate. He will have the ability to be overtly wicked and convince people that his actions are God-centered. Just like Jim Jones would say, because he was the father of the people's temple, it was right for him to have sexual relationships with men and women within the group. And they all bought into it. Well, who's going to embrace that kind of thing? Who does it say? All the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing. They are perishing. They are in a state of dying, perishing. They are unbelievers. Those who will not believe the truth are going to be the people who believe the lies of the coming man of lawlessness. And the deception is actually intended To impact the unbelieving. Remember 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. This is really interesting. Comes with all this deception of wickedness for the unbelieving. Those who will not trust the gospel. And why does he let them get hoodwinked into this? Because. Do you see it? Because, this is the judgment of God, because they did not receive the love that comes from the truth. Not just a love for truth, that's not what that says. It's not just, I love truth. Well, there's lots of people here who love truth. They did not have the love that comes from the truth, a love for God that comes from the truth, a love for people that comes from the truth. The truth did not impact their hearts, so they are perishing. And that makes them pray to deception. This is really fascinating. And can I just say something here we need to say because we are in an era right now that is really, really challenging. This era of COVID has made me have more conversations about the word truth than I think I've ever had before about what's true and about what's false. And then I'm reading reports about AI. Have you read that? And I just listened to an interview by the creator of OpenAI. And he himself is saying, if we don't harness this, it'll destroy the world. And then there are others who are saying the same thing. And there's already... News reports being written by open AI. And you're like, I know this is the antichrist. It's the sign of the beast, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, settle down. <laughs> settle down. Don't run to the hills. Don't isolate yourself. Settle down. Preach the gospel. Live with people. Love them. Engage them. Don't walk away. Do what God has called you until he comes back. Just keep doing it. Settle down. Yeah, it's all going to come. There's, there's going to be a society. And whatever's going on now is nothing compared to what will happen. And people will flock to it and be deceived by it because they're perishing. They don't have true love in their hearts that is wrought about by truth. There's a difference between truth, little t, things that are true, and truth, big T, which always in the Bible refers to the gospel or the scriptures. If you elevate little t truth to big T truth, you're making a mistake. Because the reality is, Half the time, we don't even know what little T truth is. But I do know what big T truth is. And there's no debate about that. It's the word, isn't it? It's the scriptures which are clearly given to us. So I better make sure that I'm sticking to what it is saying and say this is the truth and all other things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a good stab at it. But I'm not going to live for it or live within it. I have to trust God and what he reveals. These who are perishing, they didn't receive the love of the truth. And you notice, so as to be saved. They're unbelievers. Let me give you the fourth and final characteristic of this deception. This should shock you. His deception, that is the deception of the man of lawlessness, is extended by God. It's extended by God. Look at verse 11. For this reason. For what reason? They did not receive the love that comes from the truth so as to be saved. And for that reason, God will send upon them a deluding Influence, so they will believe what is false. So you don't want to receive the truth so as to love God and others and be saved? The condemnation and the judgment is God will then give a deluding spirit so those unbelievers will wrap their arms around what is false and cling to it as if it were gospel truth. why verse 12 in order that they may all be judged this is the judgment of god it's very similar to romans chapter 1 if you want to reject the created world as pointing you to the creator god god gives you over to your own passion so that you think what you feel is who you are and you think that what you want is right and moral A deluding influence so that they'll believe what is false. So they'll be judged who did not believe the truth. And what's the flip side of not believing gospel truth? They took pleasure in wickedness. They found their joy in what the Bible calls sin. That was their pleasure. That was their pleasure. Can you imagine? Whoever this restrainer is, when they're not restraining anymore, there's such a deluge of falsehood that it is absolutely inescapable. You say, why do we need to know all this? Are we in the day of the Lord? No, we're we're still preaching the word. We're still pushing back against, against evil. The man of lawlessness has not been revealed. We're not seeing this kind of unrestrained Wickedness, as bad as it is, did you realize that people are still coming to faith in Christ? People are still embracing the gospel. The the church is on the march. Christ is still enjoyed by a lot of you in this room. Which should tell you something right now. You should cherish Jesus, you should cherish Him and love him, and know him, and be intimate in fellowship with Christ, and learn him in the word, and apply that to your life, and be radical in living for the things of Christ now. You should believe if you're an unbeliever. You should turn from your sin and trust Christ. Because as we've said all along, I don't think there's anything that we're waiting for for these events to start to go into motion. And once they go into motion, few and far between will actually believe in the things of God. You should turn. I'm not, I'm not here to, to preach doom and gloom so as to scare you into the kingdom, but you should be scared if you're not in the kingdom. You should, you should see what's coming and you should say, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. And listen, friends, Christ is so satisfying and he's so glorious and he's so beautiful and he is so encouraging and helpful and steady. Prize him and love him and follow him and walk with his people who will come alongside of you and help you so that you have nothing to do with this coming man of lawlessness. But all of this is written so that you're not deceived. You're not reading Facebook and going, oh, no. <laughs> if that's your response, well, I shouldn't get on social media stuff here now. <laughs> Although I should. Yeah. If, if, if that's you, I just wonder how mesmerizing is Christ if you're so mesmerized by the plight of the world? Does Christ not rise above that for you? I pray that he will.